look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. You? Cold. Yeah. I'm cold. <laughs> Every year. It's just temporary. It it's ha- temporary. Yeah, that's what you always say. I know. I'm optimistic. I think I have to buy my kids snowsuits for Halloween again as their as their costume. Well, here's the thing that uh, Maddie and I discussed. Maybe we have to start putting snow tires on at the end of August. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then summer lasts another two months, yeah, and then exactly, you're, and you yeah, shred them. I yeah, know, I know it's, it's just, crazy. Anyways, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's de- that's depressing. Let's talk about the markets. That's oh, that's <laughs> not depressing. Okay, what a, what an interesting week from a volatility perspective. A lot of news. Um, I I bet you Donald Trump's not feeling peachy. Huh? Oh, that was good, eh? That's the worst joke you've made oh, in ten years. We've really? been doing this. That's the that worst. Good. You're terrible. Peachy. Don't worry. Don't worry. He's not here all night. That's right. right. I'll stick to my day job. Well, so let's talk about impeachment, though, because, of course, that's the the big headline this week. Correct. All right? So to peach or not impeach, uh, that is the question. Or is it? Or is it? Yeah. It's it's another piece of media or news Mm -hmm. that's causing concern for individuals and forecasting the future when it comes to the markets. Okay, let me give you a couple data points. Okay. Go back to Clinton impeachment. All right. Markets rallied big double digits when the Senate... Well, let's start uh, off. 1998, October, markets fell, call it between 2 to 5%. Yeah, and then a huge rally. February 1999, when the Senate acquitted Clinton, right. markets started to Impeached rally. Impeached with an, uh, an acquittal, right, right, by the Senate. And so that caused... Part of the stimulus of the of the rally in the markets, it was also 1989, and the economy was on growth mode, and things are looking better. This is right before the tech crash. Okay, but hang on a second, hang on a second. So don't, the economy don't, was don't give away all the the magic news all up front. You okay. can't just give it away like okay. that. Okay, let's give the I'm trying to side. set this up. Oh, for okay, you. you're gonna okay. Yeah, here we so go. So you can have an impact on people's lives <laughs> there while we they're go. driving around. Okay. okay, how about the opposite? No, let's go back to Nixon's years. Nixon, Watergate. Right. Thirty percent drop in the stock market, nineteen seventy-six, I believe it was. Right now, so wait a minute. We got two impeachments. I mean, I guess uh, Nixon was never impeached. Uh, he he resigned before that, but effectively going down the same process. Same process. Big double negative in the Nixon years. We got a big double positive in the Clinton years. Yeah. Hmm. What can we glean from impeachment? Nothing. Right. Yeah, well, first of all, there's not enough times of an impeachment. So what was the difference in those periods Yeah, that so led to a negative versus a positive? And, and, and fundamentally, we've been talking about this every time we can. It goes back to the economy. Right. In Nixon's years, they changed the gold standard. Yeah. We had an oil embargo with mm-hmm. Iran. Mm-hmm. And all this changed from an economic perspective. Right. Very different economic situation. For Clinton. For Clinton. And so when it comes to Trump... And the impeachment process that may go through, we have to look at what else is happening. Keep your eye on the ball as an investor, right? Keep your eye on the ball. Yes, there's uncertainty that this creates, and it feeds into that, and that's not insignificant. Yeah. Okay. But the economics, the underlying economics and data, are what you need to keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, and and the reflex that we have. Right. Whenever we get this news right. and the average person. And, and I had calls this week. Sure, of course, absolutely. So Trump's going to get impeached, yeah. so now the market's going to fall 30%. Right. Well, no, no, not necessarily. Right. 
what else has to happen. Right. Right. Um, and so impeachment was always as part of people's p- potential scenario. For a long time with Trump. Came to, with yep. Trump. Right. Yep. So this is where we need to look at beyond just the headline story and get into the um, the the data and the economy. Yeah. And so this week, consumer spending in the U.S. was slightly positive, but slowing. Consumer saving in the United States, up, which means they're saving more, spending less. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be a consumer confidence issue. And that leads to con- consumer right? confidence. Leading indicator. We've got to watch that one right? closely. So yep. that these are, these are little bits of data that start making a bigger picture. Right. Right? When you're putting a puzzle together, it's piece by piece right. until you get the whole picture. Right. These are little pieces. And so what we've all of a sudden forgotten is the China-U.S. deal. Right now, we're getting news of that, and that changes the markets instantaneously. Right. Right. And so um, it, it, it comes down to economics. It comes down to understanding that this, that when you're dealing in the stock market, and I feel, I, I feel a lot of empathy for individuals whose entire retirement savings is in the stock market because now they are 100% involved in that volatility. Right. And I, and I feel bad for them because they have to deal with all this stuff every single day. Mm-hmm. When you have, you know, a investment strategy approach like ours, where you're diversified in five different pillars, when you when you have an income bucket and a growth bucket, you can be confident that these short term issues are mm-hmm. not going to take drastic d- differences to your income, to your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You can't live and you can't live and die. I, I wanted to expand that a little bit to um, to this notion of price discovery and volatility. What can you glean? Okay, so let's just use impeachment as the as the topic du jour. Okay. Okay. All of a sudden, great. We've got an impeachment inquiry. It's not even an impeachment process. Yes, it's just an inquiry at this point. But it creates this volatility, this 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 bout of uncertainty. All of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the markets start trading all over the place. Like yeah. on Friday, you saw early trade positive. Then it went negative. And you know we see these triple digit swings swings in yeah. very short periods of time. We call that price discovery. That's the market. You know buying and selling to try to determine what the value is of each of these securities at you know at interday and at the end of the day. But what can we glean from that those kinds of swings? Other than that, there there is volatility created by uncertainty. Right? But one day down 300 points, the next day up 250 points. You know, the interday even the daily, the short-term price discovery volatility and price swings what can an investor take away from that? Like, what are they learning on a day-to-day basis, if anything? Yeah, there's there's not much you can learn, except there's a lot of entries into the market that are, are basing it on certain type of <clears throat> outcomes. Right. So the market and the way it moves is based on future value. Right. And so think of it this way. If you're building a computer program, right. an algorithm, right. Right. and you want to outline what the future will be with your portfolio in this computer program, you would put in certain assumptions yep. that say, if we see China-U.S. trade talks improve, that will be good for the economy, good for the markets, start to buy. Right. And, and the algorithm, the computer algorithm, can literally take tweets, right? Determine the treat, tweets positive and trade on that, right? And there are computer programs. You're right. right. There are computer programs who are based on on. We tweets. have a tweeting index now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have every time the Fed says a certain word, like data dependent. Right. You can, you can tell the computer what to do, right? and the computer will act. And so I'm not blaming this on algorithms and computers. We use a quantitative algorithm and so forth on our side. 
What I, what I am saying is that it depends on the factors you put in. Right. And so garbage in, garbage out, good data in, good data will come out of it, mm-hmm. and it will give you the understanding of what's happening. And so in a day-to-day market, it's all based upon inputs and assumptions. And so every time you hear a headline story or yep. anything in the news, it's all based upon assumptions. And so I challenge everybody who does this, because we all do this in our lives, what if you're wrong? So do you do you actually know why markets close? That we have an end. We could trade twenty four seven. Do you know why they have well, an they, end? They the have day? after hour markets, but a lot lower volatility. Right. But so but educate you, our, our our listeners right. about why you you close markets so that information can disseminate, be thought about, and you can have rational discussion and reaction to it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I I suppose the whole point of having this conversation for me was there's going to be a whole bunch of volatility because there's a whole bunch of factors trading and things are happening more quickly than ever. Um, uh, bring in sort of this, this computer trading. Yep. Okay? I'm not sure you can gleam a ton every single day, <clears throat> certainly intraday, of what the market moves are doing. There are trends that you're going to have to uh, determine, if, particularly if you're in, you're in retirement. Yep. Right? You're not a computer trader. You're in retirement. You need income. We need growth to offset inflation. All of those things we've always talked about. Yep. And I've got a 35-year 30 time horizon that I need, or 40 years, whatever it's going to be, to get through this, right? So I caution people um, to, to emotionally get trapped in the reacting of day, intraday trades. you got to start with the, the thesis and test the information to the thesis and adjust accordingly. And again, I caution against giant fast moves, right? I'm going to cash today. Okay, well... That is a 100% market timing bet. And boy, if you get that wrong, mm-hmm. okay, there can be permanent capital destruction, even if you're in conservative portfolios. Yeah, and, and, and this will lead to making irrational decisions. Correct. Uh, either way, go to cash or I need more return, right. so I'm going to go more into stocks, right. even though I know the economic situation in the future right. may not be the case. So that goes to our next segment. Yep. We are going to be having Benny Tall, who's a reoccurring guest of ours. He's the deputy chief economist for CIBC, and he'll be talking about what are the risks of going into 2020? Yeah. Negative interest rates. What does that mean? Are they going to come to Canada? Right. And so we're going to talk about that after the break. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, Faisal, we've got a terrific guest joining us uh, shortly here. But this, you know, it's been a very volatile year. It's been a good year for uh, for equities. Yeah. Uh, there's tons of headline Even noise. some fixed income has done well, too. Fixed so, income yeah. has done well. That's right. Um, but that often doesn't jive with what people feel, right, or what they're reading in the headlines yep. and, and the fear that, that uh, you know, the, the headlines and the constant communication that we're seeing as investors are getting. Um, so we've invited uh, Benny Tall, who's the Deputy Chief Economist, CIBC World Markets, back to join us, as he uh, typically does on a quarterly basis, to try to help us make some sense of what's going on <laughs> and what we might expect to see into the future. Benny, welcome to the show. Thank you. A pleasure. <clears throat> well... Why don't we start? Why don't we? Uh, why don't we start, Benny? Uh, if we can, just getting your thoughts on a bit of a recap as to where we, you know, how we got to here today for this year. What did we start this year with? Like, what were your expectations, and how do we get to where we are today? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, as you know, I can give you a brilliant economic analysis here. <laughs> One tweet will change everything, so we have to keep this in mind. Uh, however, uh, I think the two thousand eight. 
2019 turned out to be a relatively okay year. It started very, very weak. The fourth quarter mm-hmm. of uh, last year and the first quarter was basically zero growth in Canada. And then we had kind of a rebound. So really, we got a very strong second quarter, third quarter kind of uh, going back to where we belong. Overall, we are in a neighborhood of 2, 2.2% uh, for the year as a whole, which is uh, a bit more than a potential Uh, given the rebound after a very weak first quarter. So it, right. it was a, a lot of volatility. There is no question about the fact that uh, the dispute between the U.S. and China over trade is impacting Canada in a negative way because our consumer is doing fine. Even the, even the housing market is starting to improve, especially in places like Ontario. <clears throat> But investment, exports are not there because this fog of uncertainty is really making this uh, decision to invest very, very difficult and making it much more difficult for the economy to break the 2% uh, threshold. What surprised you this year? What were the things that caught you off guard or, ca- or caught you by surprise? <laughs> well, there are thousands of them, but I think that the, <laughs> the number one factor, which I think is very important, is the way Trump is attacking the central bank. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that before. You know, in Economics 101, they teach you You know, the independence of central banking is a taboo. You don't touch it, touch it because <clears throat> the minute a central bank uh, independence is being compromised, the whole system cannot function. Yeah. And Trump is calling them boneheads. <laughs> Trump is uh, basically telling that they are the enemy, putting a lot of pressure on uh, the Fed uh, to cut interest rates. Uh, I was not surprised by the fact that the Fed cut interest rates. That was our forecast. We believed that the Fed uh, will, uh, will uh, go ahead with what we call the mid-cycle easing, and that's exactly what happened. But the attack on the central bank, even from Trump, I'm surprised. So you use the phrase mid-cycle, um, and we get a lot of conversation and questions about that because we see that sometimes in the press, and investors are thinking, you know, are we mid-cycle on this? Or There's lots of that discussion of the R word, the recession word. Are we getting closer to recession? Can you give us a sense of what the economic data is telling us over the course of the year and maybe a little bit of insight as to what you see for the rest of this year? Okay. So first of all, let's put this mid-cycle um, easing uh, in perspective. You know, we all, we're all familiar with the notion of the yield curve a situation in which, uh, you know, the difference between long-term interest rates and short-term interest rates, and sometimes long-term interest rates are actually uh, lower than short-term interest rates. And whenever we had this kind of situation, usually we have a recession. And that's why people are so concerned about the recession. That's why the media is all over it, because the yield curve is uh, almost inverted now, signaling a recession. However, if you go back in history, there are two episodes, in 1995 and 1998, in which the... Yield was inverted, but there was no recession after. The question is why? Because in both cases, the Fed started to cut interest rates. That was the mid-cycle easing. And when they cut interest rates on time, early enough, they were able to postpone and even prevent a recession. So the key question is to what extent the easing done by the Fed now, currently, is a mid-cycle easing or maybe just an easing because there is a really bad economy. I believe, looking at the data, is that we are in the midst of a mid-cycle easing that actually might save 2020. 2020 will not be a good year. It will be a weak year. But there will be some factors that will lift the economy in 2020. One is the Fed cutting. The other is fiscal stimulus coming from Trump in 2020. He just got the green light to do so. And the third, and very important, is the last-minute 
deal with China that will lift the market. It will not be a real deal, it will not be a comprehensive deal, but it will be enough to get things going. So there is some logic to this madness. I think, I think it's very important to, to really understand. You know, we economists, we predict. And when there is fog, when there's uncertainty, we try to buy time and say, when the fog clears, we'll see. One morning I woke up and I realized this fog is not going to clear. <laughs> the fog will not clear because the fog is the ultimate goal. The fog is not a mean to achieve anything. It is the ultimate goal. Rightly or wrongly, Trump believes that if everybody is confused, investment will go to the U.S. because that's the default. So as long as he can confuse the market and keep this fog on, I think he will do it because you achieve three things. One, you achieve the Fed cutting this, because of this fog, the Fed is cutting. That's exactly what Trump would like to see. Two is that because of the uncertainty, Trump now has the green light to spend fiscally. He's going to do so. And in the last minute, just in time for the 2020 elections, there will be a deal with China. Everything is planned. There is logic to this madness. And so with, with what you've just said, how does that impact Canada for 2020? Well, <clears throat> since 1951, whenever they had a recession, we had a recession. So if those three forces can lift the economy and save it, save it from a recession in the U.S., it will save us from a recession. So what's happening in the U.S. will have a significant impact on Canada. Also, to the extent that the trade dispute with China will be resolved. And again, I don't think it will be resolved in any real way. But you know, on a temporary basis, the way they did with NAFTA, because NAFTA 2 is basically like NAFTA 1, yeah? no mm -hmm. big change. Yeah. But they will do enough to lift sentiment in the market and even investment that will be positive for Canada. Because I don't see any scenario in which the trade dispute between the US and China is actually hurting us, is actually helping us. Uh, so clearly that's not the case. We are being damaged by that. Business investment is not there, so we need it to be resolved. So those three forces will help Canada as much as it's helping the U.S. Benny, we have less than two minutes to go. We are heading into a Canadian election. Out of all the platforms that we've seen so far, which is the best for the Canadian economy? Well, I cannot answer that because that's too tricky. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I suggest is that uh, there are many aspects to all uh, platforms to help the Canadian economy without getting specifics. The only thing we need to do that we have to focus on is not dividing the pie, but finding a way to, to, to make this pie larger. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, we don't need more tax uh, uh, cuts or not even increase taxes. What, I, what we need is a significant, significant investment in productivity enhancing uh, vehicles. That's not happening, and we need it because that's the only solution to the slow economic growth that we are witnessing. Really quickly, give us one example that the, whichever government turns into power can do to increase that, that productivity. Much more capital to startups. Much more capital to startups, that's one thing. Really, we have to shy away from hating risk. We have to love risk. We have to basically allow risk to exist allow people to fail because that's the only way to increase productivity and raise our output. Number two, change the way we think about education. 
we have to look at uh, practical education, relevant education, making sure that we don't have a situation which we have too many PhDs that cannot really be employed in today's labor market. Mm, okay. Uh, let's leave it there for this segment. Uh, Benny, I'd like you to stick around um, for us in the next segment because we've got lots of questions from people about what is the impact of negative interest rates. So if you're interested in that, stick around after the break. But before we go to break, Faisal, we've got our upcoming seminar. Yeah, see, these are some of the conversations we're going to have at our next seminar talking about how this will impact your retirement in the future. That will be on Tuesday, October 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seat. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, you're on 770 CHQR. Join us after the break. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. A great conversation in that last uh, segment. I want to, Benny, if I can, um, take it one step further. Sorry, we're with uh, Benjamin Tall, who is the Deputy Chief Economist, CIBC World Markets. Um, you made a comment, Benny, in the last segment about you don't believe that there's going to be a permanent uh, solution to the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. I want to add to that that Trump has been very clear that should he be reelected. And there isn't a deal that he wants in place. That he's going to be very tough on China in his second term. What does that mean from a global economic prospect? Should Trump get reelected? There's only a temporary deal in place, and you know he's got that's his last term. Does this take us to an economic recession, or is there a way out of that? That's a very good question. So let's uh, start by saying the following: This is not a trade war. This is not about soybeans. This is not about, about uh, T-shirts going to Walmart. This is a technology called war, period. You have a situation in which the U.S. is trying to keep China down when it comes to technology. China is trying to, be a, 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 to dominate globally the high-tech sector. They are basically making it very clear there is a plan. It's called Made in China 2025. They're telling you, by 2025, we, China, want to basically dominate globally artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics. They are not shy about it. They have been sh- buying the knowledge and technology from the U.S., from Canada, from Europe over the past few years. What Trump is doing now is basically is slowing them down. Now, uh, clearly, if this technology Cold War is turning into a Cold War period, this Cold War will be worse than the Cold War with the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union was a country in decline. Their economic uh, system was obsolete and they were not trading with us. China is the second largest uh, economy globally. So clearly much more uh, significant. So we have a major situation here, but at the minimum, what I'm seeing here, Trump or no Trump, we are seeing the emergence of two trading blocks, China and its friends and the U.S. and its friends. It's very clear to me that from a long-term perspective, that's where we are going, because we have to remember, even under the Democrats, China is a target. If there is a consensus between the Republicans and the Democrats, is that China is not playing fair and they have to do something. We have Trump basically getting this genie out of the bottle. It's very difficult to get it back in. So the Democrats will be more polite, if you wish, but they will go after China as well. And China will say, okay, we'll buy time, we'll buy time, until we don't need the U.S. the way we need them now. So the emergence of two trading uh, blocks, and Canada, of course, uh, will be caught in the middle, in the crossfire, because when there is a Cold War, a third party has to choose a side. Yeah? Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's the issue. Canada, of course, we know where it will be. Germany, that is doing more business with China than the U.S., who knows? And also, when we want to diversify our export engine, it's not just sell to whoever is willing to buy, because if this buyer is in the different block, it's much more complicated. So trade is going to be much more complex. With Trump, it's going to be more immediate. But even with the Democrats, that's the world that we are emerging into. So, Benny, because of all this stuff that's been going on, the slowdown, China, U.S., we're seeing a large percentage of countries that have negative interest rates around the world. And this has now been, um, I'd say, the topic du jour, mm-hmm. at least with Absolutely. some of our clients um, on the media here, that, that negative interest rates could be coming to Canada. Let's start with, uh, let's explain the impact of a negative interest rate and then your thoughts about it possibly coming to Canada. Well, first of all, the question is why we have negative interest rates in places like Japan, in Europe. And the number one uh, force is clearly the speed limit of the economy. The ability of the economy to grow is very, very limited. The speed limit went down over the past 10, 15, 20 years because of many forces. Technology, but clearly demographics, is a very, very significant force. And it's happening also to a lesser extent in Canada and in the U.S., uh, everybody's getting older, and as I told you in the past, Trump can make uh, can, can can do a lot of things, but he cannot make America young again. Oh. That's not going to happen. And this means, quite frankly, that uh, we are flying low. Basically, the potential growth of the economy is very very low, and uh, central banks are using interest rates to stimulate the economy because that's the only weapon. And I have an issue with that, by the way, because you are using interest rates to fight something that is unrelated to monetary policy. Mm-hmm. So you get negative interest rates. Basically, people are paying for the right to keep their money safe in the bank, as opposed to put it under your pillow. And that's something that uh, we are seeing in Germany, we are seeing in Japan. I doubt we'll get to it in North America anytime soon, but clearly... Uh, interest rates will remain low. This has, of course, major implications. But one thing that we have to remember, low interest rates, when they they get very, very low, they're not helping anymore. Think of it for a second. You look at Germany. Germany interest rates are negative. So when interest rates are negative, it's, you know, banks supposed to lend and people supposed to borrow and consume. The opposite is happening. The savings rate is going up, not consumption. Why? Because when interest rates are very low and they are very negative, and you are planning for your retirement and you are saving for retirement, this GIC will not do. So you have to save more to get ahead and to make sure that you're comfortable when you're retired. So you save more, you consume less, which means that negative interest rates that's supposed to stimulate the economy is doing the opposite. It's actually counterproductive. It's very interesting. So um, given what you've just said, what, what's the glide path for interest rates um, you know, in the countries where we've got negative now? Um, and what would your thoughts be then for some, you know, in North America, Canada, um, in terms of glide path? Still down from here? Well, I hope not. I think that uh, we are in a mid-cycle easing. The Bank of Canada might be cutting one more time. Uh, the U.S. might be cutting uh, one more time. Some people say two. I don't know. I don't think so. And I think that will be it for a while. Uh, 2021, after the slowdown in 2020, 
which I hope will not be a recession because of all those forces that we talked earlier, mm-hmm. uh, 2021 will be a recovery. It will not be a strong recovery because the speed limit of the economy is lower, but it will be better than 2020. We might see actually interest rates rising in 2021, which will be a very positive thing. Also, we have to remember, if there is even a semi-agreement with China, mm-hmm. if they just talk, that can take long-term interest rates up by 20, 30, 40 basis points, and will put the yield curve in a more normal uh, trajectory. So I'm actually relatively optimistic for 2021. We just have to go through and survive 2020. And then uh, I'm going to ask you one more question about, uh, about recession. So if we did go to recession in 2020, when people hear that word, they immediately think 2008. Um, so if we did hit recession, are you, are you thinking it would be something shallow? Or is this going to be something more serious? I think it will be shallow. I'll tell you why. Because um, in order to get 2008 type recession, you need something really, really bad, like subprime. Yeah. We don't have it now. Uh, assuming there is nothing like big happening, like you know, liquidity crisis because of cyber crime type situation, uh, which, by the way, I think will be the next major crisis, but that's mm-hmm. a different story. Um, I think that... Uh, Given the fact that the starting point, that's something very important that investors have to realize. The starting point of the economy is much lower. If potential growth used to be 3%, then you are moving at around 3 And then if something happens, you are at about 2, 1.5. If your starting point, because of demographics and other forces, is 1.5, that's your speed limit. Then if there is an accident, you are very close to zero. Right. So the probability of having zero or negative growth is much higher now than it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. In fact, in the last quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year, together, economic growth in Canada was very close to zero. It was basically in a recessionary territory, but we didn't feel a recession. The labor market was on fire. So that's a window to the future. Hmm. You will see more zeros, more negative quarters. The headline in the newspapers will be, oh, recession, and I say, don't worry. This is just a really low starting point, And that's the nature of the economy until we find this next productivity boom that will lift our potential growth. Okay. That was great. That was great. We've got to leave it there. Benny, thanks again. Okay. That's uh, two terrific segments. We appreciate that. We'll talk to you again next quarter, we hope. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs> We've been joined by Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist, CIBC World Markets. We've got to make sense of all this and put it into a practical plan to help people get through these periods. Yeah, Benny right? mentioned two things. One was lower interest rates will mean people have to save more. Right. They won't be able to rely on guaranteed investments like right. GICs. So that's one conversation. The other part of it is we're going to be experiencing low growth globally. That means stock markets are not going to be taken off 10, 20, 30% regularly. Right. There's going to be a lot of volatility there. Yeah. So and, how do you and, prof- and low periods, right? Just kind yeah. of sideways. Yeah. So how do you profit and protect in that? You need to have a proper asset dedication strategy. And that's what we're going to talk about on Tuesday, October 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethemoneyradio.com. What if you have kids that have different needs? Is fair mean equal and equal mean fair? Stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to More Than Money on 770 CHQR. You're here with Dave and Faisal. Uh, awesome show today. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, 
so many questions about economics and the volatility and the headlines and and what's coming. Um, always terrific to have Benny Tall in there. And then, and then you know, Benny is sort of removed from the individual client experience. Not to say that he doesn't travel the country and speak to individuals, but we get that day-to-day, right, when you're talking to people, to see the emotional reaction. That, Correct. Um, and, and, you know, the structure and, and the questions we're getting, really, uh, really fantastic. Now, uh, you know, when we were preparing for the show, uh, we often talk a little bit about what, you know, what was sort of the, um, the week what did it hold for you? What kinds of conversations yep. and topics were you having? And we tried to see if there was a trend. There was a trend this week. And it was an interesting one. And it wasn't around impeachment, although we had lots of questions about that. It was around, what do I do with my kids? Yeah. And which it, is which, which this week was kind of weird because I had quite a few conversations about. Well, you and me both, right? What do I do with my kids? And yeah. not literally what I do with them. Right. But I'm having a, I'm, I'm in a. Financial quagmire. <laughs> yeah, for different reasons too, right? But the central theme, so so there's, you know, what, should you treat your kids equally in every case? That That's essentially the question that we we're being asked with a whole bunch of, from a whole bunch of different angles, okay. right? How do I treat my kids? Should it be equal? And does equal mean fair? Yeah, and so let's take an example. Let's talk about a uh, retired couple. Mm-hmm. They are building their legacy bucket, also known as an estate plan. Yep. And they are wanting to split their assets between their children when both the parents, the, the retirees, pass away. And so, simple rule. And I'll give you my father's situation. Sure. He's got two kids, my sister and myself. Simple, easy thing for him to do, 50-50. Right. Down the line, everybody gets half. Leave me alone. Now, what if one of us, my sister or I, have a different circumstance in our life? That may require more support okay. financially okay. or in other manner. Right. Should the parent put more resources towards that child? And then what? Is that equal anymore? Right. Or is that? Cer- it's certainly not equal. But it could be fair. But it could be fair. I'll add to that. Client conversation. Um, I see a lot of these uh, with farm transitions now Yeah. where um, you know, some of the family members, the kids are actively farming and some are not. Uh, we've got a very large estate value in land um, and less so in other assets. Mm-hmm. So what happens in, in that transition? Um, do you transition the active farm assets, including land, to the children that are actively working it? We'll create a lifestyle. Uh, and or do I give some of that land to the other children that are not working that with a leaseback opportunity or something? Because what, this one's interesting in, in this respect. Uh, although there might be a very high value if you, if you sold that land off for, say, non-farming purposes or something else, yeah. or even to another farmer, um, it may not have a tremendous amount of income value to it. So by working that farm... Perhaps the, the kids that are working it are making a hundred or hundred and fifty thousand dollars each. Right? So from an income perspective, it's worth something very different than it is from a land value perspective. Correct. Right? And so it gets interesting and complicated. So so what's fair and equal there? Right? And what's the family dynamic that comes out of it if the non farm focused people If it wasn't equal. Yeah. If it was considered fair. And what kind of conversations do you have in advance if you do it at all? Right. So it, it <clears throat> 
the complexity just went up there. Let me add another one. Okay. Okay. Just one more because there was a whole bunch of them this week. Oh, it was crazy. Okay. You too. Eh? Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, what if you have? You alluded to this in a slightly different way. What if we have? Uh, I've got some. I've got kids, and some of those kids have special needs, mm-hmm. and some don't. Right. Um, there could be a tremendous amount of time, energy, and effort, and money put towards the kids that have special needs. Yes. Right. Which is, you know, is time, energy, and money taken away from the child that doesn't have special needs, right? Yes. So dealing with a family situation about, gosh, we, you know, we feel we want to take care of one child that's, uh, that doesn't have the special needs because we have had to commit so much to the special needs kids, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the family dynamic there? What's fair and equal? I, I don't know. It's a challenge. It's I don't challenge. know what the answer to that is, yeah. right? It, it, it comes down to values. <laughs> it comes down to... What do you want to see at the end of the road, right. at the end of the day? I'll, I'll throw one at you now. I've got two kids. Yep. Um, they are three years apart, but in school, they're four grades apart. Right. Okay. Let's fast forward. Let's fast forward. And my eldest is going to university. Right. Okay. And the money that I've saved in my RESP is just enough to cover my eldest four years right. in university. Right. But I have a, what's called a family plan that, that both children can benefit from mm-hmm. the plan. So what do you do? Right. Do you slice it down the middle and give half to one child and half to the other? And what if the younger one four years later doesn't go or mm-hmm. there's a, it's the unknown, right, of the, of the younger child? So what do you do? Do you put all your resources in that RESP to your elder child who's going these are real life situations that go on yeah you know this is the exact case where yeah. we have with one of our clients and and they have a limited amount of money that they've put aside for the education so now they're looking at do i take money from my retirement right to make it equal right or do i just split it 50 50 and those are the resources available yeah. to you and children and you're on the hook for the rest of it correct right and then how do you feel about that right <laughs> Right, so it, it's it's challenging when you start to think about what you want for your children, right? And your heart will lead one way, your mind may push you in a different direction. And and if you're a, a couple, you could have very very different views, different views. on yeah. on what should happen. This is the complicated stuff, and and so it was an interesting week when we started talking about all these things, and and uh, you know we're following through many of these examples right now. So I'm not sure we have answers to to share with anybody at this particular point, but we did want to raise it um, as as the complication of this stage of life we call retirement because, you know, we're, we're talking about total wealth here. Um, it's not about stocks and bonds. Like this conversation isn't necessarily about stocks it's and bonds. It's not about investments, no. Right. It, it's, it's about a total wealth because yeah. there's all kinds of things that people own. And it's also about family dynamics. It's totally about family. Right. This mm. whole thing is about family. Right. When you're dealing with your children's post-secondary education or you're dealing with passing money on to your children, it's about the family. And that's where you need to sit down and literally write down what you want first. Yeah. What's the ideal scenario? And then work backwards. Yeah. In legacy planning in particular, and I do lots of this work for, for our clients on our team, it's we start with just that open narrative, the conversation. Just the conversation. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the different the kids. Tell me about the relationship. Yep. Tell me about the relationship they have with their spouses and interspouse relationships. But did you notice one thing you said? Mm. You sit down with them and you go through that. Yeah. 
you're, you are pretty much turning into a coach. With well, them. in many cases, that's what it is, right? Because it's hard often to drag it out. And sometimes, often, um, there's some contentious points amongst parents, but they haven't talked about it because it's contentious, right? You got to bring that stuff out. Yeah. And there are solutions, right? Sometimes it requires some hard decisions. But you're right, that, that, that coach, right? N- none of the conversation early on in that yeah. deals with assets. Yeah. Of any kind. And as, as retirement experts, the, the beautiful thing about working in these types of scenarios, cases, and so forth, is that it's, we give an objective point of view. Right. We listen to what the desires and needs and wants are of, the, of our clients, and then we start to brainstorm and yeah, come nuts. up with different ideas and different strategies and, right. you know, and then present them with pros and cons. And then the family can choose what's best for them. They get to go through a process. And I think that's what's missing. Most people just go and get their legal documents prepared, will, power of attorney, personal care directive. And when they're doing that, they're not having a strategy conversation. They're having a legal document conversation. Right. Well, and it's not even, let's take strategy out because that almost sounds businessy legal as well. Talk about the gift. Right? This is what I find. Let's talk about the gift that you want to leave behind. And I've never had anybody sit in front of me and say, I want to leave a legal mess and a breakdown of the family dynamics. I want to make sure all the siblings hate each other. Nobody's ever said that. Yep. Okay? So start with the gift. This is what it is. You've made more in your life. You've accumulated more assets, and you're going to gift it to somebody or you know some uh, uh, charity. And that's the same thing with education planning. Yeah, absolutely. You're giving a gift for future education. Absolutely. Right? And so... It's the same concept. Like you're, I like that. You're giving a gift. Right. How do you want it? What's the outcome you want? And then let's and go work backwards. backwards. Okay, we've got to wrap it up. Um, let's remind everybody about our upcoming seminar because the legacy is part of it. Absolutely. Tuesday, October 22nd, 7 p.m. At the Carriage House Inn, you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Talk to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.